Lauren. Mike. Lauren, how do you secure your cryptocurrency assets, all your Dogecoins and (laughs) NFTs? I think I have exactly one US dollar of Ether, and I keep it in a regular old app, no hardware. So uh, you can have at it if you you manage to get into it. Yeah. Do you have your passkey written down on a post-it note that you keep in your glove box? Yeah, it's um, it's P-A-S-S-W-O-R-D, all lowercase. Perfect. Yeah. Have you ever considered a wallet? I mean, I have a wallet. Do you have a crypto wallet? No, I do not have a crypto wallet. Do, do you I know ne- about Do I need wallets? this for my one USD and ETH? I mean, I, I've heard of crypto wallets because I've heard about the extreme measures people have to go to to hack into them. Well, we're going to learn more about them right now. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. We are also joined this week once again by Wired editor-at-large, Stephen Levy. Stephen, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's always a thrill to be on the show. <laughs> Stephen, we have to tell you that as we were reading your latest feature in preparation for this show, we were like, Mike and I looked at each other and said, Stephen's a really good writer. <laughs> We knew that already, of course, but it was underscored. You really are. It's like you've been doing it for a while. A fantastic writer. <laughs> I think um, I, I have a pretty good lead on everyone else for the most features in Wired Magazine. Incredible. Yeah. And I don't think uh, I'm going to challenge you on that. <laughs> no, no. We're never going to catch up. <laughs> well, Stephen, your latest feature for Wired is a story about cryptocurrency. Most of our listeners probably know at this point that we are in the midst of a crypto winter where the values of many digital currencies have fallen, exchanges are under intense scrutiny, the NFT market has crashed, and the whole scene is going through a lot of difficult times. So this particular moment feels like the right time to step back and take a long-term look at the crypto world and think about where it might be going in the next few years. One company thinking far into the future is Ledger. Steven just wrote a big story for Wired about this company, a French business that sells cryptocurrency wallets. Ledger's newest wallet called Stax, that's S-T-A-X, is making waves primarily because it's designed by Tony Fidel, the guy behind the iPod and the iPhone and the Nest thermostat. Tony's a big deal. If Tony Fidel is making Ledger's next crypto wallet, then it'll get the attention of more than just the crypto bros. But let's start with some basics, Stephen. Can you please tell us what is a cryptocurrency wallet? Right. Okay. The So the wallet we're talking about, which is something to hold not only cryptocurrency, but other kinds of digital assets, which could range from NFTs to papers about your identity. Think of it as a tiny secure vault that holds your private key, which is sort of a stamp you make to authenticate that you are you. So when you have a crypto asset, whether it's a Bitcoin or an NFT, it lives on this ledger called the blockchain. And your direct connection is that the owner of the digital asset is logged on this ledger. So the question is, how do you prove that it's you? How do you prove that you're the owner? And that's because there's a a little key, which when you unlock it says, bam, it's you. And you have to hold this key in the tightest, most secure place because anyone who has the key is automatically the owner, right? It's a definitional, the, the person who has the key owns that asset. So the crypto wallet is a way where 
that power is in your, literally in your hands, where um, you have this piece of hardware which holds that digital key very, very closely. And if it hasn't been hacked, um, so as you mentioned, that's very important, you can prove that those assets are yours. How does this differ from using something like Secure ID on an iPhone. Apple often talks about how secure it is to use something like Face Unlock and store your biometric info on their secure ID because that is something that the company does not have access to. And you're sort of holding that in your hand, right? Like, how is this different? Well, one thing I learned about studying crypto, and I actually wrote a book about it at one point, is that the amount of effort you put into protecting something uh, is, you know, pretty much, you know, has to be in, in sync with how important it is to protect it, right? So if it's very, very, very important, you need the most secure way to lock something down. And as it turns out, the phone is not the most secure way. Um, there's companies that sell to other governments a way to hack it outright. Um, and the biometrics like face recognition and fingerprints you use can be relatively, relatively easy hacked. They're public. People can see your face. They can fake it. Um, they can get your fingerprint. They can cut your finger off. Right. I just watched the movie about that where some guy cut his finger off. Right. And <laughs> let's put a pin in that and come back to it. <laughs> yeah. It's not the most secure way to do things. So this company has put its bet on people saying, hey, if I'm going to have these digital assets that, you know, are so secure, I don't have to trust anyone in the world, any kind of institution or bank or anyone else. I want maximum security. And that can only come from something which is an unhackable way to protect your key. So this company that you wrote about, Ledger, they make these cryptocurrency wallets. Uh, that's their primary business. Uh, tell us more about Ledger. So Ledger is a French company which in 2014 began making these wallets. They're not the only company that makes them, but they've become the leader of the field. And right now they look kind of like an old USB stick, the kind that, you know, uh, had a jackknife sort of scheme where you put like a metal sheath over it and, you know, kind of flipped it open. And right now um, the passcode you use is in this tiny little microscopic display they have and it isn't even a keypad it's hard to use but it's very very secure and i think something about like 20 percent of the world's cryptocurrency uh is protected by ledger wallets and maybe 30 percent of the nfts so they're definitely one of the leading companies in the field but still it's pretty hard to use and something is really reserved for the hardcore crypto crowd so my story begins when the people at Ledger thought, gee, how can we open this up and appeal to an audience beyond the geeks, beyond the crypto bros, and make it so a wider swath of the population can adopt this technology? So enter Tony Fidel. And Tony Fidel, to be clear, he didn't found Ledger, right? But he got involved a little bit later because something was really irking him about the products he was consulting. And then he ended up saying, let's redesign the whole thing. Talk about that. Yeah, even before Tony, there was another person named Ian Rogers who came to the company. And this guy's a fascinating guy. Um, I mentioned that he had a lot of trophy jobs, but trophies they usually don't find in the same case. You know, he was kind mm -hmm. of a skateboard kid who took computer science and worked at Yahoo and headed Yahoo Music and then went to work for Beats and did their music 
uh, software and then started uh, Apple Music when Apple bought Beats. And then he became the head of these, these luxury fashion brands, right? And the CEO of Ledger, this guy named Pascal Gauthier, thought, I need Americans to market my product because the French are too stodgy and I want to be a global company. So he tapped this guy, Ian, um, to come and work for him. But Ian had a friend in Paris who he said, can you look into this for me? And that friend was Tony Fidel. And Tony, in doing due diligence, got excited about the prospect of rethinking the crypto wallet and uh, agreed to do the redesign for a wallet uh, he didn't join the company. He got a little piece of the company, but he became the de facto design head and father of this new product called Stacks. And you mentioned earlier that some of the previous crypto wallets from Ledger, they had a tiny screen. They weren't super easy to unlock. In your story, you mentioned that the directions say, allow yourself 30 minutes to even set this thing up. And then in comes Mr. iPod, who, I mean, reinvented the literal wheel. So what was his vision for this new wallet? Right. So he looked at this and he thought, gee, this is just like digital music was when I was charged to lead the iPod project from Steve Jobs. You know, the first MP3 players were really clunky to use, you know, hard to even pick out the single song you wanted to listen to. They were, you know, bulky um, and they were definitely not cool, not fun. So he said, I could do the same thing for wallets. Instead of having this tiny little, you know, display and no buttons, I could do a touchscreen. And what's more, I can make the touchscreen really cool in a credit card sized device where the screen, and it's an e-ing screen, wraps around the side. And on the side, you could read it like uh, the spine of a book. And maybe you'll have a bunch of different assets in different categories that you could use together and you could stack them up like a big pile of $100 bills. So he made them magnetic so they would snap in order. And you could put your NFTs on the display and they would leave that way. They had a long battery life that you could put in a drawer and it would be good for months. Um, so he decided to make this thing easier to use and cooler and sell it for a reasonable price and make it a more welcoming product for people considering getting into uh, self-custody for digital assets. You know, I think both Ian Rogers and Tony Fidel told you at some point in your reporting, and this is in the story, that um, they believed that what we're looking at right now is a moment that goes back to about 15 years ago, right? When most people believed that when the iPhone came out, that it wouldn't necessarily be a product for everybody, right? Like not everybody is going to want a smartphone. That was obviously wrong. And Ian Rogers says that something similar is happening right now with cryptocurrency, where it doesn't really feel super vital to daily life for everyone at the moment, but that in the future, most humans will end up owning digital assets. Um, I wonder if that's really true. I think the long-term vision is valid. Ian said something really interesting to me. He said he attended a conference in New York uh, recently, and you know it was a bunch of crypto people, and you needed uh, a crypto token to actually get in. It was your ticket, right? And he thought how weird it was that the technology he used to get into this party, basically, was more secure, more sophisticated, and easier to use than what you use to get into a country. I think eventually you can make the case that our passports 
will be digital assets and our driver's licenses and our Taylor Swift tickets, right? It's going to be a long process, but I think it makes sense that somewhere down the line, I don't want to put how many years it's going to take, that this is going to be the way that we hold everything dear to us um, that can be digitized. As I was reading this story, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was wondering if it was eventually going to become more than just a crypto wallet, if it was going to store our passports and licenses and vaccine cards. Because as someone who loses things quite a bit, I was thinking, okay, this thing is $249. I would probably spend that amount on a really secure digital wallet if it meant I wasn't replacing all the other things I lose (laughs) throughout the year. Yeah. And just don't lose your wallet. <laughs> yeah, but de- definitely, I think that's it. Now, they don't have a a clear action roadmap that make this happen, like in two years. And Ian actually said to me, so I'm a little worried that we're going to be like the Nokia or BlackBerry of this space, right? Because they're there now, and maybe down the road, someone will come up. But right now, uh, their hope is that to build this big head start. And since they're already the most popular product in this you know, pre-cool device era of wallets. They're hoping they can, you know, just put the stake in the ground. And as this happens, they will be the platform that people use for these other digital assets. All right, well, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Now, obviously, when Ledger first started planning the Stacks release and got Fidel involved to build it, the crypto world was doing okay. And then a lot of cryptocurrencies tumbled in value, the NFT market crashed, and now the FTX exchange is the target of a fraud investigation, and the whole crypto world seems to be in a pretty serious crisis. Some people might point to all of the recent news and say, wow, lousy timing for Ledger to release this wallet. But others, like Fidel and his team, would say, no, this is actually perfect timing. That's right. Um, you know, uh, it's been a challenging year for crypto in general, but not disastrous. At the time, I went to Paris um, and had to suffer my way through the City of Lights while reporting the story. Uh, <laughs> a couple of weeks later, the team came to New York. And during that period, we've learned about FTX and SBF and the whole crypto market just collapsed and was shrouded in doubt and fear and loathing. So I, when I brought this up to them, uh, they said, well, you know, we're the solution. And they noted to me, and we had discussed this before, that when your money is in a crypto exchange like FTX, it's kind of like the same principle as a bank. If you have money in a bank, they don't like earmark your dollars with your name on it in, in a red marker. Um, they just put it in a big pile. And if everyone wants it all at once, they have to have enough money to pay people back. If they don't, it's big trouble, as Samuel Bankman-Fried learned. Uh, and we all learned you know, from uh, FTX. With self-custody, it doesn't work that way. The... The money is actually earmarked for you and linked to your little private key. So that could not happen if your money was protected by self-custody and a crypto wallet. The question is how successful the whole market is going to be, whether this casts a big enough shadow on the whole crypto market that people are going to ignore it. I I said, is this going to be like um, introducing a great cocktail on the Titanic just before it hits the iceberg? (laughs) (laughs) So wait a second, if someone had 
let's say, made an investment that was tied to Sam Bankman-Fried's coin, FTT, or let's say they invested directly in the FTT coin, and it was stored on a ledger wallet, then if the value of that coin goes down significantly, how does having it on a ledger wallet, a hard wallet, make it any different than just having it stored in an exchange? Or having a record of it on an exchange. Well, if, if the if the currency itself is worthless, you're right. But if you were trying to, you know, get your assets, a lot of people had, you know, uh, not their their money not in the magic beans that you know SBF invented, but you know, Bitcoin and you know, Ether and other, um, you know. Uh, markers of value that still have some value. Um, if you're, you know, they have their money in there and they couldn't get it out, you know, they couldn't get it, get it paid back. Uh, so if you're, if money is involved in a currency, which is worth something, you could recover it. In this case, you know, there was like real money that disappeared. Uh, they said, you know, oh, there's a line in the spreadsheet that for $8 billion that we forgot about. We kind of like, is one little line. And if you want your money back, sorry, we can't d- deliver that because, you know, this line in the spreadsheet kind of disappeared. Um, so, uh, and if you're, you know, look, if you buy an NFT, um, at the least, you want to say that my ownership in this NFT is verified. And I don't have to trust anyone else to be able to claim what I purchased. I think I'm still trying to wrap my brain around the idea of a hard wallet and what it points to. Like if you were to use an analog to a current banking app, when I use bio-authentication on my iPhone to get into my current banking app, I don't believe that what I'm looking at is the actual repository of dollars. I'm looking at a digital representation of dollars that are stored somewhere else. With the hard wallet, it's another form of identity verification and it's holding the keys, right, that point to assets that are somewhere else. Yes. Am I understanding that? It's not like you're looking at the NFT itself on this little wallet. The difference is that with your bank, there's a third party involved that you have to trust, right? If your bank mm-hmm. goes bust, you might have had, you know, $1,000 in that bank, but you're not getting that $1,000, this is more like saying I have a thousand dollars in a safety deposit in this bank. The bank went broke, but I still have access to the safe deposit box. That's a good analogy. <laughs> you know, I think um, I think the idea of uh, a cryptocurrency wallet saves us from some of the abstraction that's involved when thinking about exchanges, right? Because it's a physical token that you hold in your hand that you can manipulate via the touchscreen if you have a Stacks. And, you know, it's it's not something that sort of exists in the sky that you access through a browser. So I do think that, you know, eliminating that abstraction of dealing with exchanges is helpful for the cryptocurrency market because it gives something that people who, you know, are less familiar with it or are still uh, find it kind of confusing and, and weirdly obfuscated. It gives them something to literally hold on to, literally and figuratively hold on to, you know, and I know that that was Fidel and Roger's goal in in building this wallet, making something that was even more accessible to get people into wallets. And I think maybe the the real hump they have to get over is not giving people something that they can use to help them understand cryptocurrency, but giving them something that they can use to help them understand the difference between 
a physical wallet and an exchange. Right. And, and the idea is, you know, the, the word trust is fascinating to me. I didn't really re- realize this um, until I did the story, is that the word trust is a pejorative in this world. Because you don't, the idea that you have to trust, you have to trust someone um, is anathema to the true crypto people. Uh, they don't want trustworthy places to deal with because that implies that you have to extend trust. They want trust proof systems where you don't have to rely on anyone, no matter how trustworthy they look. Right. So, uh, again, it muddies the conversation to limit it to talk about cryptocurrencies, because as Lauren pointed out, the cryptocurrencies might, might go bust. It's more to say digital assets, digital identity markers, right? With, that are, that are going to be protected in your digital vault because, you know, these things are emblazoned on the, you know, on a ledger that there's many copies and you can't forge it. Um, and then you have the direct connection with your private key. Right. And, you know, that you don't really, you know, do other kinds of manipulation with this wallet. It's basically just almost like in the medieval times, they had a seal and you had the, you know, your own personal seal that you would stamp it with to verify it's you. Um, this is a much more secure, high tech version of, of that, um, that you don't need to trust anyone. Right. So if, if you have, a, I mentioned Taylor Swift tickets are super, super valuable. Right. Um, if you want a non forgeable Taylor Swift ticket, this would be the way to do it. You wouldn't have to trust a scalper. You wouldn't have to trust Ticketmaster. That would be your proof that you're the owner of a general admission ticket to see Taylor Swift. Stephen, before we go, I have to ask you, have you purchased a Ledger Stacks wallet and are you investing in crypto? Um, well, I don't have the new one yet. Uh, they did send me a, the current version to test out and I, and I managed to get it going, but I have you know, I actually came down with COVID before I actually wanted to confer with their people before I moved my wealth of crypto assets uh, <laughs> over to it. You know, I do, I wrote about this. I do own some crypto because in 2014, um, I I went to a demo of a Bitcoin ATM and put $20 in. And, you know, uh at one point, it got to be a lot of money, but now it's still worth over $1,000. Nice. Nice. Which I thought was ironic because all these investors were going to this Y Combinator demo day, figuring out which company would be a return on their investment. And they just should have like funneled a lot of money into that ATM machine. It would have done better. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but uh, what I'm hearing you say is that, and by the way, well, we're sorry that you were uh, dealing with COVID and we're glad that you're you're better and back on the show. Um but it sounds like you're waiting for something to move those crypto assets onto this new wallet. Does that mean you don't fully trust it? I don't trust myself to do it correctly. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is the one scary part about wallets is ultimately the responsibility is yours. If you someone gets your passcode and the, the passcode for these wallets is, you know, uh, there's the way the private key is generated. There's, I think, like. 26 different words that you have to write down. And if you lose that, uh, and if someone else comes across it, they can basically claim your assets, right? Uh, so it's up to you to protect your password for that private key. And if you screw up, you know, it's gone. Yeah. Well, don't screw up. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to lose my uh, fortune in Bitcoin. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, let's take another break. And when we come back, we'll do recommendations. Okay, Stephen Levy, you are our guest. So please tell us, what do you recommend to our listeners that they check out? Um, Paxlovid. Paxlovid. <laughs> yes. You know, uh, is this medicine, this drug that is an option to take and you get it free. The government pays for it, actually. Um, if you come down with COVID and you do, do it in the first five days of symptoms, it can lessen the symptoms by maybe a couple days and cut the odds. Um, if you've been vaccinated, they're already pretty low, but further cut them that serious bad things will happen, you know, hospitalization, death, uh, if you have COVID. Um, the drawback is that uh, it tastes very bad. And in, mm. in my newsletter, I did some tasting notes and, you know, I said there's, you know, the, kind of like a bouquet of uh, a porta potty and an underfunded jam band concert and, you know, and, and other kinds of things. But uh, it, to me, because I, I had some very uncomfortable flu-like symptoms, to cut a couple days out of that was worth it. So uh, I recommend Paxlovid. That's great. And I know that when you go to get tested, if you have symptoms and you're worried that you might have COVID and you go to get tested at like a facility, like a hospital or a public testing site or the local library or your doctor's office, uh, they will ask you, if you do test positive, are you interested in receiving Paxlovid? And they'll give it to you if you do test positive. Yeah, it's very easy to get. Originally, um, when it first came out, it was approved. It was tough to get. Now it's super easy. Basically, my doctor, who I had a, a telemedicine appointment with, um, went over with it. And actually, he he was sort of on the fence, you know, because uh, some people reported you get like a bounce back. You know, so you have to sort of crunch some numbers. Supposedly, it lessens the odds you'll get long COVID. Mm -hmm. But I, I weighed all the factors and decided to get it. And my pharmacy delivered it within an hour from there. So um, I took the five days of Paxlovid. And you can taste things again now. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've never lost my sense of taste, but uh, um, but I was hyper aware of the taste of Paxlovid. <laughs> <laughs> Once right. again, Stephen, we're very glad that you have recovered. Well, thank you. Indeed. Uh, Lauren, what is your recommendation? My recommendation is going to seem rather non-essential compared to Stephen's. Um, but if you happen to be, oh, I don't know, staying home with COVID and you're looking for something to watch, I recommend White Lotus Season 2. I recommended this earlier this year when I first started watching it. Now the season has wrapped up. It's an incredible series. Check it out. Don't go on Instagram if you don't want it spoiled for you. If you don't want to know who dies, I recommend staying away from Evan Ross Katz's profile in particular because he screenshots a lot of memes from the show. He's hilarious. But yeah, White Lotus season two, just to follow up on that one. And then my actual recommendation this week is related to our podcast producer, Boone Ashworth, because uh, Boone uses these amazing pens. They're by the brand Zebra. They're called the Sa Sara. What are they called? Sarasa? Sarasa Grand. Sarasa Grand. They're these amazing gel weighted pens. And uh, our pod here, not our, our podcast pod, but our pod at work here, we sometimes exchange some holiday gifts. And Boone, after I raved about his pen the other day, was kind enough to get me a gift set of the Zebra Sarasa Grand pens. And they're awesome. 
So thank you, Boone. And if you're looking for a good pen or a nice little gift set to give to someone who likes pens, I recommend these. Lauren says we sometimes exchange gifts because uh, some of us have exchanged gifts, but I, being the cad and forgetting that uh, most people are not going to be around next week, I haven't gotten anybody gifts yet. So hang tight, y'all. That's okay. Your Good presence point. is a gift. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, it, it is, but also um, I am. I do have things in mind that I'm going to get you. So please hold for those. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> and Mike, what's your recommendation? Okay. My recommendation is on topic for this week uh, because last week I was going through our storage closet here at work and I found a uh, Bowers and Wilkins Zeppelin Air, which was like the big sort of doobie shaped black speaker uh, that you put an iPod on and it has a 30 pin connector on top of it. So it's like an iPod dock, but it's amazing. It sounds wonderful. I think it was like a thousand dollars when it came out. Uh, so I went into further into the closet and I found my old iPod and I charged it up and I put it on that thing. And I spent like two days just listening to my iPod. And I have to say, um, owning music and listening to music that you own on a device that is not connected to the internet just feels different. There's something about it. There's something that is sort of like you are settling for what's in your library and not constantly poking around for something else to listen to. There is nothing else to listen to. You have very limited choice and it really kind of helps you make focused decisions about what you're listening to. So I'm the type of person who fills as many minutes of my day with music as I can. Uh, at work, while I'm walking around, at home, while I'm in the kitchen, even when I'm going to sleep, I listen to music. So having this iPod and having like a limited choice of things to listen to has made me revisit a bunch of albums that I normally would not pick if I was just surfing Spotify, right? So if you have an iPod and you haven't listened to it in a while, bust it out because there's all kinds of great music on there that you actually own. Well, here, here's the thing. I have an iPod, you know, a classic, the one with a you know, the last one with a good hard drive. Yeah. And I'm terrified that it's going to die because when it dies, you can't replace it. So right. I love to listen to that iPod in like a, in a plane ride, right? Where, you know, your connection, you can shuffle your whole collection. But I have to judge whether the trip is going to be worth it to take it and spend some more time in what is ultimately a limited amount of life left in this pod. So the question is, is this trip iPod worthy? In the sense that in Seinfeld, um, you know, <laughs> Elaine had the, had the uh, sponge-worthy metric on whether right. she wanted to use the certain kind of contraceptive. So I'm constantly, <laughs> you know, thinking like, you know, gee, do I want to listen to music uh, enough to pull out my, you know, great, you know, click wheel um, iPod? Is this iPod worthy? Well, I, I, w- I will, I'll say two things. One, that you can still get iPods, right? You can buy them on the internet. You can refurbish them. You can get a uh, toolkit and get a hard drive and pop them open and replace the hard drive inside of them if the hard drive dies. Of course, you have to refill it with music, but uh, you know you can you can still plug a USB cable somehow into your computer and refill it with music if you have to. So I wouldn't worry so much about losing that particular piece of hardware because the hardware still, you know, for the next few years anyway, will be replaceable. Um, the second thing I'll say is ride it into the ground. Mm. Absolutely, break that thing. Listen to it well, so after much. COVID, that it falls it's apart. all carpe diem for me, so I guess I'll I'll take your advice. <laughs> <laughs> there was a period of time when I was using this little 
waterproofed iPod. What was the the Nano? The, the Nano. one that doesn't have any screen, just the click wheel. Oh, that's the the shuffle. The shuffle. The first yeah. shuffle. Yeah, I found this company. I wrote about them at one of my previous jobs. This company, I want to say they were in. I don't remember where they were. Oregon, maybe Washington State. And it was just a father and son team who would buy these iPod shuffles in bulk and then they would waterproof them and they were for swimming. Mm. And they were great. I bought these little waterproof headphones. I clipped the iPod shuffle to the you know, strap of my bathing suit and I would listen to music as I was swimming laps. And I loved it. That's I loved great. it. Yeah. And then eventually I think it just like no matter how well you waterproof it, it got corroded because it was really like not designed to be underwater. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool though. That's, That's the last one I used. Oh, that's great. All right. Well, that is our show for this week. Stephen, thank you again for joining us. It was uh, all I hoped for. Thank you. And and we're glad that you're feeling better. It's it's good to see you. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Still there. Just check the show notes. Our producer is Boone Ashworth. We will be back next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.